Recording in progress. Hello and welcome to a special episode in Believe in Chelsea. It has been a dramatic week at Chelsea Football Club. Following the loss against Dinamo Zagreb in the Champions League, which we'll be covering in a separate episode as part of our usual schedule, Thomas Tuchel has been sacked by Chelsea Football Club. The German, who came in in January 2021, exceeded all expectations in his first six months by surprisingly lifting the Champions League and continued on last year to also lift the European Super Cup and lift the Club World Cup. However, a poor start to this season following the takeover has led to him being sacked. It's an interesting decision and one I think you know that we'll be discussing at length in our normal separate podcast. But for now, Chelsea obviously do need a replacement and they have turned to the Brighton manager, Graham Potter. And today to discuss Graham Potter with me to give a more detailed tactical insight into what Chelsea fans can expect from the man, I'm delighted to be joined by scout and analyst Mark Lamberts. Mark, how are you this morning? Uh, I'm very good. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, very interesting in times for Chelsea. Yeah, very much so. And I know also, in effect with Graham Potter, you're someone who has a particular knowledge of him as you've sort of studied him quite extensively. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think it was one of my uh, case studies doing my coaching badges, uh, especially with his work uh, with Sussun in Sweden. Um, and I think he's he's one of these interesting managers that does things a little bit different than mm. you might expect from uh, managers in the Premier League. Yeah, I think like yeah, let's first have a look at his career. Obviously, I think he started off originally at Leeds Beckett University working with the youth sides, and his first formal coaching role was in Sweden with Ostersunds. He spent, I want to say, seven or eight years at Ostersunds before coming over to England to coach with Swansea City in the Championship, and then he took over Brighton several years ago. And now, obviously, Chelsea have paid the quite extensive release clause in order to bring him and several members of his coaching staff to Stamford Bridge. Um, So just starting off with his time at Ostersunds, for those that aren't really aware... Talk a little bit about what happened when he came in, where the club were, and what he sort of did to the club. So, um, they were in the fourth year of uh, Swedish football, and um, I think it's good to realise that when you go down from the second to the third and fourth year, it's very regional, um, and weather conditions are very bad, so, for example... If you go north or south, it really depends on your method of leading a club. So I think for Graham Potter to come in from, from England and from the university cycle to go to uh, a club in the fourth year with different perspectives, a different lifestyle, different way of football, artificial pitches, it's a really a big, uh, big change, big step. And what he did is really re- renovate that club in, in playing style, in way of the recruits and way they play games on the ball, off the ball. And in those seven years, he managed not only to go up a few times, so he went went to the Auslandskans the first year, but also managed um, to go to Europe, and um, which is a very interesting um, development in the seven years he has been there. So... Um, he, had, he has not only got experience at the highest level, but also knows what it what it takes to to win titles, uh, get promoted, and also stay in the league. And I think that gives him a huge advantage uh, 
going to your clubs, Chelsea. And I think it's worth you know noting that that coming up through those divisions, it's not the easiest structure Swedish football in order to come up. You need to not only be successful on the pitch, you also need the right off the field infrastructure in order to sort of move forward. And I understand he was quite instrumental in pushing that forward um, in the club. Yeah, so he has a clear vision of where he wants to be uh, on the pitch, obviously. Uh, but also, how do I attain that? How do I achieve success? And that means, okay, you have a, need a good tactical plan, you need good recruitment, but you need the right people to thrive in. And I think it's, this is the case of a good manager uh, or leader uh, in that sense is, yes, I'm good at what I'm doing, but not the best in certain areas. So I'm going to get the good people in who are better than me, but will help me thrive and get success. And that also means that on a human level, um, the players and the coaching staff and everyone involved in that club should be heard and listened to and make sure that they're most comfortable in their role so that the whole club, the whole organization can thrive and be successful. And I think that's one of the things he has done and Östersund is explain how important the club is, how important the fans are, and just make one uniformity uh, of a club and move forward. And everyone bought into the project. And if that happens, you can see how success can come quite quickly. Yeah. And I think what is interesting, again, you sort of talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about his style of play. But I think the recruitment from an outside point of view is quite interesting, particularly in the fact that they turned and looked at players who you know, started off their career originally in very low sort of non-league football and playing in sort of second tiers. And then they moved to uh, sort of, you know, to Ostersunds. And I'm thinking people like Ken Semmer, for example, who then subsequently got a move to the Premier League. Um, it's sort of, you know, it's quite interesting that they appear to be very good at scouting for hidden gems. And I understand a lot of that is due to the recruitment team and the people that he does try and take with him from club to club. Yeah, so I think that in general, um, it's very important not only have a good talent ID, so that you can see which players are good and which aren't. Uh, and I think it's easy to to establish that a player like Mason Mount has certain qualities. Yeah. And I think everyone can, can see certain qualities uh, when you're into football. But assessing if a player is good enough will do well in your system or for your club there's something different and that that's a recruitment thing so what he does and this is where he as an as an example and Brighton also are an example is that they have certain profiles they want to have so if a profile leaves the club they know what they want in terms of playing style they will know what they want in terms of character they know what they want in terms of wages and all these kind of things Mm-hmm. And then they are looking for players to come in. And that um, enables a club or a manager or a player to have more success because they are known to do in that role. And that also means that if a player leaves, that it's not necessarily a very negative impact on the squad. It can be, but it, it's, it's limited to have a negative impact. And... That's also, if he wants a profile and he can find it in the second 
second tier certain leagues or non-league and he knows the players to progress and to do well yeah the evidence speaks for itself and I think that his way of thinking um, really helps in that mm. and he wants to be close to recruitment as well because he ultimately he will play the players the playing style and I don't think he's very keen on the fact that um, sometimes the clubs want to bring in high-profile players who are of commercial value or they can boast around or it's a leader, a proven winner. I don't think he's necessarily very fond of that. Yeah, and I think it's also worth noting that going back to when he was at Ostersund in particular, a lot of their early success and the early promotions through the fourth and third tier were due to the fact that he had connections at the Nike Football Academy and brought through a lot of very young players. So I think from a Chelsea point of view, it's quite exciting when you look at the nature of the players you've got in the Cobham Academy at the moment. People like Charlie Webster, obviously Harvey Vale's out on loan, but Bashir Humphreys, uh, some of the new players that have come in, that are perhaps the younger players like Carney Chukwemeka and Cesare Cassidy it's probably quite a promising appointment for them as it's quite clear that he does give chances out to younger players. Yeah, and I think that uh, obviously uh, Chelsea are, are very well known for the quality of the academy um, and the players that go on to the first team or go elsewhere, they have a certain quality. And I think they should utilise that a little bit more. And, and I think also that what Potter wants, when Potter wants, is that there's a clear philosophy of football throughout the whole system. And I think there's also uh, it's another topic, obviously, and something that sport and director or director of football also needs to, um, needs to protect. But if you play the same philosophy and key principles of, of play throughout the academy, it's also easier to integrate into the first team. Mm. And that also means not only giving use the chance but also you can depend on them because they know what the Chelsea way of playing is and that's something I think you will work closely to those uh, in the academy and have a look out for you know exciting talent and then the ages of 16 till 18 mm. and see how they can um, add to the Chelsea uh, value yeah no that makes total sense and I think it's also worth you know noting that previously there's maybe been a bit of a disconnect in that Chelsea at youth level have been so, so utterly dominant. And from a, I suppose, an opponent's point of view, when you then come to look at them uh, developing players and coming through to the first team, they've perhaps at times not matched that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That, and it's probably also worth you know noting that you probably see things like this at this moment in time where you've got, uh, sort of you know players who are coming through the academy and then going elsewhere to get first team minutes. People like Lieberamento, Tariq Lamps, who obviously went to Brighton, um, and sort of other players in that mould. Yeah, um, I think that's. I think there's a few nuances you need to change um, in the transition from academy to first team. Obviously, these players are very talented. And you see them thrive at Premier League sides, or they go to the Bundesliga. And you see this all over England, obviously. But I think that with a little bit more attention to the transition phase, uh, you can really help players because you also don't want players coming in and be burned out. 
we have seen that uh, with a few with few players at other top sides in the Premier League, they come in at 18, they play a lot of games, and they turn 22 and a little bit burned out. So that's something you also don't want. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's also about do we give space and room for those players and the first team to develop? So it's also a strategy. You have, you have your short-term and your long-term strategy. What do you want as a football club? And uh, if you you recruit for long-term, it also means giving the players a chance and it also means giving the academy a chance. But if you, for example, if you want to win the Champions League this season, you're going to recruit very different than if you say, okay, in the next four or five years, it's our goal to win it, but not a specific year. Mm. Uh, and that's also something you need to think about in the long term. And if you incorporate that with the academy, I think it can be much more successful than it is now. Mm. And I think it's also worth you know, probably noting on from that that you almost, I think, expect that there's become a bit of a culture now. You almost expect Chelsea to have these talented young players and them not to get a chance and them to go elsewhere. Uh, yeah. And obviously, maybe we might see a bit of a change now with a manager coming in who really sort of is pushing for it. Yeah, I think so. And I think, I think Chelsea have a negative connotation with the lone army. Uh, and, and, and getting talents all over Europe and not maybe not always doing something with it. Mm. Um, and I think that you have a very strong academy, and that should be your call in the sense that if you develop them, they they know how Chelsea play. They they are homegrown. Uh, most of them, they they know the culture, uh, so they integrate a lot better than uh, sometimes players getting players from other markets and they have to get loaned out and on again and again yeah. and that's also a little bit discouraging for players coming in especially from Copland because it's a very very good academy and I think that that needs to change a bit and I think it's also going to change it's already changing um, but yeah I think the vision of Graham Potter and his staff will be instrumental in looking at the transition phase because that's the most important thing that players feel listened to that they are guided into first in football and also can receive feedback from their peers and the seniors mm -hmm. and, and that that type of attention should be very high in my my uh, experience and then you can see those players thrive yeah no of course that makes sense and I think it's also worth now sort of talking about from a systems point of view that Graham Potter shows himself to be a very tactically astute manager, someone yeah. that you know uses multiple systems, uses players in multiple systems, um, and is able to get the best out of players. I think even when they're playing multiple roles. Yes, very much so. So throughout his managerial career, seeing that his sides have different systems and, and what I mean is obviously in the game you have uh, a system tactical system on the ball and off the ball but also you can change formations and roles and I think his players are players that have to have a certain intelligence in football to know and recognize how to play when to play when to change because he's not a manager on the on the sidelines like Diego Simeone and 
shouting every instruction they should do. No, when they are on the pitch, it's their game, and and when something changes dramatically, he will uh, give instructions or the team talk. But in the end, the players need to have the confidence and intelligence to perform the tactical changes and actions themselves. Um, so not only is he coaching and managing, but he's also educating their players, uh, his players in a way of, okay, you should also be able to recognize it yourself. And that also means that recruiting players should also be players that are intelligent as well and, mm. and, and know what to do in tactical changes. And that's very different. You can, you can see how that has impact. If you have a player that, that doesn't adhere to that standard, you can see that all over the, the Premier League. I don't have to name it examples, but there are a few players who have won at all and come into certain teams but don't um, don't get to the standard of what the manager wants. And I think Potter's very serious and, and, and clear about his intentions with players and tactical systems. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably worth also from that, you know, noting that Chelsea had been playing this 3-4-3 at times 3-5-2 this season. Um, And it's maybe felt that there hasn't been the most creative freedom. Obviously, Graham Potter does play a similar formation, but I think, you know, in his case, it's a lot more emphasis on the attacking side of things. And a lot more of the time, it's almost a 3-2-5 with the wing-backs being so high up and the inside forwards pushed in. Or sometimes more of a 3-4-2-1 with players sort of pushed in and all linking up with each other. And with the comments about Chelsea's attack and the you know, issues about Chelsea's attack that you've seen, would you say that you'd expect to see more production and more improvement from that attack, given the quality of players and also the perhaps freedom that they're going to have? Yeah, I think obviously from a spectator kind of view, you have an idea of how football you want to see played. And I think there are different tactics. Different systems uh, both of plays a four four two four two three one the three four two one um, but on the ball again deep blocks and the majority of the teams you you play against as Chelsea you are dominant so then he pushes up the wide wide players so you have a uh, you have four or five attackers and then you have two controlling players in midfield for the rest of the events and. I think, yeah, there will be more attacking space and uh, you want to create superiority in those areas, overloading those areas. And not only have more numbers in the box, so to speak, but also create high quality chances. And even if you play in 0-0 and you have a a decent amount of high quality chances, you are in those areas. Mm -hmm. And the next time you will score that. And that's that's the main thing. And I think that the difference is with Thomas Tuchel is that they relied on a few chances. Yeah. And if you don't take them, yeah, then it's very difficult because you don't create a lot. And I think uh, the personnel was also not ideal for that kind of play. But um, creating high quality chances via positional play using high pace passing and you utilizing the space that you create for yourself by being high paced. It's something Grandpa will definitely do, especially now 
certain um, quality of players because uh, with all due respect to Brighton, Chelsea are on a higher bracket and have better players uh, yeah. to do that. So uh, it will be interesting to see how he implements it because he, he now needs full confidence on attack and winning stuff and not just exceeding expectations. So he needs to be in the Champions League spots and he needs to be close to silverware or win silverware this season domestically mm. or, or internationally. So that will be very interesting, but I, I do think that he can certainly improve the squad uh, in attack but also build in the securities to when you lose the ball that you're not caught up, caught out. Because we have seen a lot of times that in the, on the break the opposition can counter quickly, and then you 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 have two two defenders left. Mm. It's not enough to, especially in a, in a in a in a competition like the Premier League, which is very transition based. So it's very high tempo. Uh, and you need to run a lot. So I think um, a little bit of defensive security uh, and a system that can switch between defense and attack is very important. I think he has built that quite okay with Brighton and um, with Ossosun as well. Mm. And uh, I think it's now worth sort of saying again, you saw that against the Zagreb game on Tuesday, yeah. of that Chelsea were in control of the game, one poor lapse of judgment this time at the back, and again, defensive mistakes have been a hallmark of the final weeks of Tuchel's sort of you know tenureship at Chelsea. And then suddenly, Chelsea almost froze and didn't look like being able to turn it round. And one thing I would be really impressed with in Brighton, and especially in games that I've seen of them this season, is when they have gone behind, is that ability to turn it round. And you saw it last week against Leicester. And I know there were the jokes last year that you know Brighton would win the XG in every single match, but. When you you know start looking at that and creating more high quality chances with the caliber of player that Chelsea do boast, there's potentially something really really exciting. Yeah, definitely. So um, I think that there are two very interesting things here. Um, XG says a lot about coming in the right positions and coming in the right positions and the right timing and executing on the right time. Yes, there are a few players that underperformed. Uh, in terms of striking abilities with Brighton, but at Chelsea you have a high, higher quality of those uh, players. So yeah, that's very important, creating those chances and enhancing the XG numbers, limiting the XG against, obviously. And I think also that um, reacting to negativity or disappointing things is very important. So also in his in his scouting in his room, he wants players that that are not disappointed with a bad pass or disappointed with a uh, a bad pass from the teammate. It's all about how you react going forward. Stay positive. I also think that um, him doing a masters in emotional intelligence taught him a lot about the human and the athlete and how to make sure they're not numbers but they are humans and humans should be should be feel confidence when they are playing a game it's not about the system and the numbers everyone every individual is important and i think he wants to give that personal attention to each and every player and that's also why the staff is doing great things with it uh, so yes it's also about instilling confidence for example, players like Kai Harvard, mm. 
they're good players and fans might not really see what they want to see of, of these kind of players. But it's also about confidence. Like, okay, if you don't score this one, don't bother. You are in a good position, next time you'll get it. I will, I will focus on that. And then when you score, obviously the confidence grows. Mm. But that's also a part of his coaching method to instill that individuality and, and, and confidence into players, which a personal approach is very important. And that's something in a head coach and a manager, uh, I think it's very important, especially in these times that football is getting more and more businesslike and more and more detached, even on club level. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that's a positive sign that Chelsea will get a manager like that and, and knows to regulate emotions to players and to the outside world as well. And um, I think that's perhaps also needed because it's just, it's always a circus with top sides and, and with Chelsea has been a very turbulent last year, I would say. Mm. No, I agree. And uh, obviously, it's hard to predict now because the transfer window has closed. But obviously, one thing that has been systematic and sort of recognised to people is Graham Potter has liked going back to former clubs and bringing players in from former clubs. Um, is there anything you could see from Brighton who you particularly think would fit into the Chelsea sort of plans? Obviously, Brighton won't really want Chelsea to come and raid them again, having already lost Mark Correa to them this summer. But is there anyone else at Brighton you're thinking and you're looking at and saying, yes, they really fit Graham Potter's style of work? Yes, you know, you could see them making the move. Not yet. And the reason for that is that, yes, he has a style to play, but he has a lot, he had a lot of control also within Brighton and he will have less control within Chelsea uh, in certain areas. Mm. Um, also, we have a few weeks before the World Cup starts. Um, and I think that you want to improve Chelsea in playing style, but first of all, you want to improve on results, obviously. And, and uh, I don't want to mention other clubs too much, but the same is going out with Manchester United. Yeah. Ten Hag is, is putting his philosophy aside for a little bit to get results. Because he doesn't like counter-attacking football, but he gets some results. And I think that's something... We also might see with Graham Potter in, at the beginning, at least until January, I think, so he has a good squad assess- assessment and see what's good for short term. Uh, but if, if, he, if he remains uh, successful, or uh, at least acceptable this year and going into the next season, then we'll, we'll see a, lo- a lot more of his, of his play, his philosophy. Um, but having said that, that's, that, that's why it's difficult uh, to assess whether he sure. should get something from Brighton. Actually, I think in short term, no. Long term, maybe, but it's too, too early to uh, call. We haven't, haven't even seen a game yet, so... Um, yeah, of course. We'll have to see. Of course. And finally, for just a couple of quick questions before we wrap things up, um, who do you think is most going to benefit from Graham Potter becoming Chelsea manager? Which players... Um, it's a very good question. I, I would say the improvement will be felt uh, mostly in attack. Mm. I think I mentioned Harvest already, uh, 
but also a, a player like Mason Mount. And I think Mason Mount is an enigma to me. Um, I, I've, I've watched him play also at Vitesse in the Netherlands, and he's a very good player. But I often feel like with modern managers, they have so many rules and principles that they that they're limited in their actions. Mm-hmm. And I think that the really good coaches have a system to give the players more freedom, to allow them to have the freedom to do that. Uh, so allowing them the freedom means that you have to have security. So if you have, for every creative player, you need a controlling player, a destroyer, a defensive midfielder. So I think that the freedom, the creative players, uh, especially Harold and Marat, I think they will really feel it. Mm. Uh, and it's well, and 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 I think uh, I think the fullbacks will definitely feel it as well, as they are uh, important in that squad. So they have a bigger responsibility to go up and down, uh, and, and adhere to his process. Yeah, and I think and I think there will be a little bit more security as well uh, from Mandy. Um, I felt he was a little bit shaky because his defense is shaky. So the mm. confidence instilled in the defense and with the goalkeeper means there will be more calm on the ball. And it will also mean um, the build up will be more calm and also, I think, more fruitful. Mm. And on the flip side of that, is there anyone that you, uh, that you think may struggle a little bit or may you know find it hard and maybe in a real battle to adapt that's a good one really um i've been thinking about this uh last few last few days really because a midfield i, I think it will be on the midfield so he has this idea of um, playing with two uh, two defensive midfielders, or at the, at the beginning, two players that are double pivot. And in that double pivot, you have one that plays really as defensive midfielder, and the other is more of a box to box, so like an eight. Mm. And I think if I look at the Chelsea squad, I am not too sure how that will end up. Like. Um, but I would fear for Gallagher, uh, mm-hmm. mostly. Uh, and I think also he will see the qualities of Gallagher in the long run. I want to incorporate it, but he needs education in that system. He's not yet ready to, to play there. Uh, so we might see uh, a change in that. But also, as a grandfather, you never really know because he always has different systems also within games. So mm. he also do with the players he has, but I think Gallagher might struggle a little bit in the beginning. Sure. Well, I think it'll be fascinating to see how it does end up going. Thank you so much today for your time, Mark. Do you want to let people know where they can find you on social media for your other insight yes. and analysis? Yes, I am at Lambert Mark, and then you can find everything what I do. I, do. I tend to talk a lot not so much about the top five leagues um, in Europe, but um, yeah, it's very interesting nonetheless to talk about it. And 
perhaps you find some talent in other leagues you might want to see at Chelsea. Who knows? Mm. And uh, yeah, thank you for uh, for having me on today. Yeah, marvellous. And for everyone else, with the postponement of this weekend's fixture, there will be another episode midweek when we look back on the Salzburg game. And there will also be the special Thomas Tuchel episode where we discuss what went wrong. So look out for all of that. But for now, I've been Rob Prattley. This has been Believe in Chelsea. And I'm signing off for the day. Have a great day.